So we're continuing our series on diversity, where we're thinking about what it means to be a diverse um, group of people, what it means to um, love diversity, what it means for us to think about us as why God uh, would call us to live in diversity. Because I think diversity is somewhat of a buzzword today. But the question that I would ask is, okay, then what sort of diverse communities are you a part of? How is it that you are around different people, people who are different than you? Because we like the idea of tolerance and love, and those are good ideas. But how are you actually practicing those things? How are you in Entering into like committed community and relationships with people who are different than you, because I believe ultimately we're better together and it matters to God. But it's always been a problem because much of the New Testament is written to um, church people basically asking the hard question how do we possibly get along? Because this religion has been very Jewish. In fact, at the beginning of the Christian movement, people thought that it was just a sect of Judaism. And how do you let new people into this religion that's been ancient, that's been around forever? What does it look like for us to figure out how we allow Gentiles into this group of people? What are we supposed to do? What does that look like? So it's been a problem forever for people to be accepting and welcoming of outsiders. And it still is. Because naturally, I hope that you realize that it's easy for you to just hang out with people who who are like you. You know who gets me pretty well? Mid-30s white people. And they just do. They understand my background a little bit easier. But I think it's important for us to be around people and be in relationship with different people so that we learn from them, so we understand a little bit of their perspective. As I'm doing this series, I keep seeing things that um, are are part of this conversation I think are important. I saw on uh, ESPN that Stephen A. Smith was talking about uh, Antonio Brown, who is a on many NFL teams recently, but he's kind of gone a little bit um, off, off the rails. And Stephen A. Smith was just saying on SportsCenter, he said, one of the reasons why this is so hard for me to see is uh, a person of color just doesn't have as many chances in this nation. That's what he was saying. And it was helpful for me to think about how I have privilege and I have things that other people perhaps don't. So it's important for us to think about and recognize the ways that we can learn from each other, the ways that we can grow together, the ways that we can create more opportunities for people who aren't like us, because this ultimately is the dream of God. And I think it starts really at the beginning of Scripture, but one place that we see it profoundly is a dream that Peter has. So if you want to turn with me, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to read from Acts chapter 10. I have kind of a large chunk of a story that we're going to read and we'll talk about it and continue on with the story as well. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the poor, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius... And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who had spoke to him had departed, he called out two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. 
And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up to heaven at once. This is a story about a dream, and really it's about two dreams, because there's a man named Cornelius, who's a Gentile, a leader of an army, and he is, has this dream, and he has this dream about looking for Peter and what's happening, and so he ends up sending some servants to go on that way. And then Peter, as the people are coming to find him, he has a dream, and he has a dream about, like, it includes reptiles, which is a little weird, but uh, he, basically all kinds of animals are now clean. And Peter raised his hand and goes, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm Jewish. Like we don't do bacon, right? We don't, we don't do this. This doesn't happen. And it says that actually three times this vision and, and Peter continues to say no. And it's kind of interesting when you think about the last time Peter says no three times, it's denying Christ. So maybe he's learned from that. And so the third time he says no, And there's never a moment where he's like, all right, I'm in, like, pass me the pastrami. There's never a moment that that happens. It's kind of weird. It's just like, and then as the story continues, uh, Cornelius ends up sending the servants and the servants um, get Peter and and take him uh, along with him. And so Peter, I think, is still trying to work out this vision in his head. Was this just something that I ate at lunch? Or like, what exactly does this mean? What is this going to look like? And so then he ends up going to the house of Cornelius, and it's a really great introduction. Acts chapter 10, verse 28 says, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Now, this is a really awkward introduction, isn't it? Like, um, he shows up to this person's house, and then he's like, well, you're aware that it's unlawful uh, for me to be here. This is like those moments when you, like, have invited somebody to church, and you're like, I hope Brian doesn't do anything weird. And then, like, you do, and you're like, Brian, no, you totally screwed this one up. Uh, This is one of those, like, the, the... Guy who is going to this house, like he's just kind of like, you know, it's unlawful for a Jew to associate or visit with somebody. So he just kind of just says that from the very beginning, just creating more awkward tension in the room. And I have to tell you that when it comes to being in diverse community and people that are different than us, there's just going to be awkward moments and awkward situations. Things that sometimes you're going to have to say, you know what, you know, I'm just going to believe that he or she had the best of intentions. It didn't really come out right, but I'm going to believe that he or she had the best of intentions. So I grew up in Los Angeles. I've always had a diverse group of friends, and I mean, I've always felt like I had people in my life that are very different than me, but still at times I, I can have these Peter moments. Like this is just kind of an awkward moment with somebody. Uh, several years ago, um, Gabby Guevara and Jasmine Guevara were members of our church. Gabby moved to Chicago now to uh, the Denver area and Jasmine now lives on the west side which people say is like living in India like it's way over there Um, so they were here at church and and they said come over sometime for pupusas at our house and uh, I said that's that's awesome let's let's do that and then a couple weeks later I was asking them about when we were going to do this I was like when when are we going to come over and I said when am I going to come over for tamales 
And they looked at me and they said, Brian, we, we, we love Mexican people, but we are from El Salvador. That is our background. We're having pupusas, not tamales. And I, again, I'm somebody who I think has like diverse friends and like should remember that kind of thing. And I was just, they were very gracious to me and said, Brian, but we're having pupusas. And pupusas are amazing if you haven't tried them before. Tamales also are amazing. But I was just in those moments, like there's just going to be awkward things that you say or things that you do. Even if you're in diverse circumstances and among a diverse group of people, just sometimes you're going to have to say, I'm just going to not worry about that one. <laughs> I'm going to let that one go. So Peter starts with this kind of awkward, all right, like I'm here, even though it's unlawful for me to be here, guys. And still they let him come in. And as things go on, as they start having conversations, as Peter notices that Cornelius, this outsider, is somebody who really like, believes and has faith uh, in God. The story has this amazing conclusion. In Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 47, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard this message. The circumcised believers, so the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues, they heard them praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. This is a watershed moment in Scripture. A religion that was for a certain group of people is now open to more. Can anyone not offer baptism for these people? Because they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. This moment is something that I think must continually challenge us. And continually have us ask hard questions of ourselves and our hearts. Who is it that I am withholding the love of God for? Who is it that I am not showing grace and love to? Because Peter would have had distinct reasons to think the way that he did. The Jewish people had a religion that was thousands of years old, and it was something that people had grown up in forever. We are like the chosen people of God, so this this love is for us, and it's not for outsiders. But in this moment, as he sees what happens in Cornelius' house, he says, this is for everybody. It's not just for a certain person. It's not for somebody who does all the right things. It's not just for like me and my people. This is for everybody. And as Peter is like working this out earlier before the Holy Spirit falls, he says this, which is a passage you might be familiar with. He says, truly, I tell you that God shows no partiality. Or perhaps your translation says favoritism. Or sometimes the translation will say God is not a respecter of persons. Which means, surely, God isn't just showing love to certain kinds of people. That all people, regardless of nationality, all people are loved 
and cherished as children of God. And this is something that I would say generally we believe. Like we don't always act it out. We don't always do it perfectly. But generally we believe this. But back in that day, nobody believed that. Nobody on the Jewish side, nobody on the Gentile side, they all thought they were in distinct places. They all thought they had distinct roles. And so for Peter to say this, it is an unbelievable thing. Nobody believed that. And in fact, both sides had reason to be suspicious of the other. The Jews were under Roman oppression. So they were being heavily taxed. And so they always were suspicious and thought that those who were Gentiles were people who would never become like them. And so just as you often do, you tell rumors about the other side. You say things about other people who are on the other side of the fence than you. And so Jews would spread rumors that Gentiles performed abortions in their home. So they're unclean because of that. And on the flip side, the Gentile Gentile believers who worshipped all of these Roman gods and all of these different gods and goddesses, they called the Jews atheists because they thought that they didn't believe in any sort of God or system. So these two groups of people that are very distinct and very apart and have reason to be in this unbelievable moment in Acts 10, when God works on Peter's heart, Peter says something that now I believe we hopefully all believe, that God doesn't show favoritism, that God loves all kinds of people. But that was a new idea and a new concept. It's something that I think we all in our modern world, we're trying to do a better job of living that out and trying to live into. But you got to be honest, it's hard. It's easy to just be around people who are like you, to be around people who you can spend time with and it's not hard, it's not difficult. You don't say tamale when you mean pupusa. And it's so important, I think, here that you see that Peter has this dream about all this food and all this stuff that's now open before he goes and has this encounter with Cornelius. Because what's so important that I think God is trying to tell them and God is trying to still speak to us is that if you actually are going to love people who are different than you, you're going to have to have meals with them. And that's a challenge How many people in the last month have you had a meal with who's from a different cultural background than you? Or from a different socioeconomic class? I hope you have lots. Florence just said lots, so that's great. And I hope the answer is lots for all of us. And perhaps that is the answer for you. And that's that's awesome if you're living that out. But it's easy for us to kind of have this idea that we think that we're tolerant, that we think that we are, and we like these ideas. But it's a challenge to consistently live it out and to say, this is going to be a priority in my life because it matters to God and so it matters to me. So I'm going to continue to put myself in those places. I'm going to take that step. And what makes me nervous is that oftentimes the Christian church in the world today is associated with like a a political party when the Christian church should be all forms of people, all people together. And it's something that we constantly need to live into and work on in our own hearts and ask hard questions. What is it that I'm doing to like, get to know my neighbors and break down some of these walls that are easily in my life? Because it even happens to Peter. 
In the book of Galatians, there's this story that you may or may not be familiar with where Paul calls out Peter, which is pretty awesome, like apostle versus apostle. It's like a heavyweight battle. But so in Galatians, Paul tells us this, when Cephas came to Antioch, and that's Peter's name, which means rock, that Jesus gave to him, so it's still same same Peter, I opposed him to his face, which is pretty epic, right? This is like WWE Smackdown. Like I opposed Paul versus Peter because he stood condemned. And the rest, for, for before certain men, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. So he's part of it, mixing it up at the potluck, like we're going to have in just a few minutes. He's mixing it up with everybody. But when they came, when the Jewish believers came with James, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. The circumcision party was just the group of people who were saying you had to be circumcised to be part of this new religion. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that in their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? One more slide, I believe. No? Is that it? Okay. Um, Finally, the thought is, how is it that you force these Gentiles to follow in Jewish customs? And that would be pretty awkward, right? The day that Paul shows up to church and throws down with Peter, basically, like in the middle of the potluck, like, hey, Peter, where are you at? You're like back in the other cities, you used to hang out with the Gentiles, but now you're only hanging out with the Jews. Like, how you like me now, basically? And he th- just calls him out in front of everybody. And this is interesting. This is in Galatians. This would have been after Peter has this dream, After he says, you know, I now see that God doesn't show favoritism. I now see that this is how the gospel is. The gospel is for everybody. But then fast forward just a little. Peter's a little bit nervous about what some people might think because of who he's sitting with. And he's like, I'm just going to go over here. It's a little bit awkward in the eyes of some of these other people to see me hanging out with these people. So I'm just going to go over here. Sam did a great job mentioning how Jesus is constantly with people who you wouldn't expect. He's always with people and mixing it up and he's called like a drunkard because he's hanging out with people who drink. And it's like, that's the kind of people that he hung out with. That's who Jesus was with. And so for someone like Peter, who has this unbelievable dream and this vision for what God has called him to do, and go ahead, eat these animals, go for it. And then like, I now see Cornelius, like, take me, like, I understand you, you are giving me this whole different perspective. I'm so thankful that God doesn't show favoritism. Just a little bit later, Peter's like, well, I'm just going to go hang out with the Jewish people because it's a little bit easier. It's so important for us to always check these things in our hearts. And be willing to ask, who is it perhaps that I've built a wall up against? Who is it perhaps that I'm not necessarily reaching out to? It's easy to start to think when you've been part of something for a while, when 
you have done some good things that somehow God owes love to you. The love of God is given to you because of the way that you've acted. It's kind of like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son who says to his dad, all these years I've been slaving for you. You haven't even killed a goat for me. And the father looks him in the eye and just says, is that how it felt? Do you feel like you were earning my love? It's easy to start to claim ownership over stuff that's just not ours. My mom told me a story about one of her neighbors who was getting really mad that certain people were parking in front of her house. And it's public area. It's no one's, you don't claim ownership. I know that can be frustrating if people keep parking in front of your house. And to her credit, she did go and tell the people, please stop parking in front of my house. But they said, uh, it's, it's a free country, so we can park, park where we want to. And they continued to park there. And so this lady got very upset. And when they were parked out there in front again, she went and sprayed WD-40 all over their cars. And um, the police were called, and she got in trouble and, like, admitted to doing it. But it's just so ridiculous how our hearts can be when we start to claim ownership over stuff. Sometimes that happens when you're driving, and someone cuts you off, and it's very frustrating. But it's kind of they're right just as much as it's yours to go to that lane sometimes. Sometimes you just need to pray for them and let them go. It's easy to start to claim ownership, and I think this is especially true when it comes to pursuit of God, to start to think that because of what you've done, because of the times that you've shown up, because of the ways that you've tried to serve God, God owes you a certain thing. May we always be a church that tries desperately to live out what Peter says. I realize that God doesn't show favoritism. I realize that God loves people who have different backgrounds, who have different groups of people coming together, that God cares about all people. And because of that, I'm going to seek out diverse relationships. Because of that, I'm going to ask hard questions of myself. How am I reaching out to people who are different than me? How am I breaking down walls of hostility? Because when Peter has this vision, this sheet just keeps falling down. And there's these animals, and God basically says, go ahead, you can eat. Again, it says reptiles, so there might be some gator over there. I don't even know that I want to eat what is behind that sheet. But go ahead. Eat, because this is who I'm calling you to be. I'm calling you to be somebody who can sit around a table with a diverse group of people. And I call you, Peter, to continue to break down walls of hostility. The question that I would have for you is who is it perhaps that you need to break down a wall of hostility? Just say, you are welcome around my table. I'm going to continue to show you love. 
And for you, perhaps it's not like a certain race or certain group of people. And if that's true, that's awesome. But who is it that you need to break down a wall of hostility for? I know for me as, as a minister in, in Los Angeles, this might be true for you as, as a member of a church in Los Angeles. One of the struggles about being in a place like this is it is a very transitory place. And so you know somebody for two or three years as part of our church, and then it's like, well, see you later. And that's hard. And what can eventually become hard about that is as you start to think about, yeah, you're here now, but let's see how long you're actually going to be here, right? Because it's hard to make it here. It's hard to live in L.A. And a lot of people go back to Texas, if I'm honest. (laughs) And so it's easy for me at times to just be like, you know what? It's hard to like open yourself up again and again and again and again. This is who God is calling us to be. To be people who are always willing to open our hearts. To say to the 10th person that one day, many years down the line, the 10th person that moves here that is only going to be here for a couple years. You're welcome around my table. To say over and over again, I'm not building up a wall of hostility. You're welcome here. I love how Maya Angelou says this. I think she describes the Christian life well. I'm always amazed when people walk up to me and say, I'm a Christian. I think, already? You got it? I'm working on it. Which means that I try to be as kind and fair and generous and respectful and courteous to every human being. I think this is the way that we are called to live. The dream of God that Peter sees as that sheet falls and he continues to say, no, 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 I don't want to go over there. I don't want to do this. And then he ends up having this profound moment with Cornelius and says, I see God that you don't have favorites. But a little bit later in his life, he's like hanging out with just the people who he feels comfortable around. Maybe recognize that the posture of our heart is always treat whoever it is that's in front of us with kindness, with fairness, with generosity, with respect, with courtesy. Because every human being carries around the image of God. So may you welcome a diverse group of people around your table. I wanted to do this sermon specifically today because we have a potluck today. And when we have a potluck, specifically a multicultural one, where we will celebrate different foods and people have brought things that represent their lives and their culture in some ways, we get a chance to truly celebrate and see the glory of people sharing a little bit of themselves with each other. And sure, it's just a recipe, or sure, it's something that your mom used to make, or something that's from your home country, or something that you just like, and that's fine. But as we share in moments like this, I think we get a little bit of a picture of the dream of God. And, praise God, there could be bacon in some of those things, and that's fine with us because of this passage. The dream of God is about walls being broken down. People sitting around tables with people and trying to love each other as Christ has loved us. So when we have moments like the potluck today, we get a chance to share in a little picture 
of one day what heaven will be. Where we will be united and understanding that there are differences among us, but those things are valuable and we can learn and grow together. This is and always has been the dream of God. So he says to Peter, go ahead and eat. There's always room around my table. Let's pray. Father, as we think about this passage, may we truly ask the hard question, where are some walls that I've built up? And may we ask how we can choose to enter in to show the love of Christ to people who are different than us, to continue to welcome people around our table. Even as this potluck is happening in just a few minutes, may we seek out somebody that we don't know. May we have a conversation, just get to know somebody a little bit better. Because in fellowship, we learn more about the ways that we see Christ in each other. Father, may we not settle for lives that are divided, but continue to push for who you're calling us to be. In your son, Jesus, in my prayer. Amen.